It is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, the benefits of solar panel arrays on native grasslands. Our goal is always to plant low-growing native grass species. This one in particular that we're standing in today, this was just what I would call vegetation enhancement. Plus, the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences will use $17.5 million to help improve maternal health in the state. Arkansas is ranked the worst in the United States for maternal health outcomes. And Nate Walls with Second Helping NWA is busy again this time of year. During this time at the end of the year, um, we have so much stuff going on next year. Uh, the fact is that we need money to continue to help people. First, though, NPR News. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents the final weeks of Listening Forest. Guests are invited to explore an interactive world of light, sound, and wonder in this immersive nighttime experience. Exhibition closes December 31st. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. It's time for the annual KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway. This is your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters. Participants include Woodstone Craft Pizza, Dixon Street Bookshop, Community Creative Center, and more. Winners announced on Friday, December 8th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration at KUAF.com. Support for KUAF comes from Woodstone Pizza, located on South School Avenue and Uptown on Mall Avenue in Fayetteville. Wood-fired pizzas, salads, local beers, and wines available for dine-in and curbside, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m., Tuesday through Sunday. WoodstoneCraftPizza.com for menus. This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Happy National Gazpacho Day. It's chilly. I would have expected a cold soup to be in the summer, but what do I know? I'm not the gazpacho guy. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later on our program, we find a moment to talk to one of the busiest cooks in northwest Arkansas. Nate Walls recently came to the Carver Center for Public Radio to talk about Trails of Love. That's in our second half hour today. Any conversation about gazpacho? No, and there was about okra, but it didn't make it into the final cut. Yeah, well, that's too bad. First up... Large-scale solar panel arrays are traditionally installed on turf grass or gravel fields, which require mowing and intensive herbicide management. But emerging research shows that allowing native meadows to flourish beneath solar arrays generate surprising benefits. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us to a solar farm in southeast Fayetteville to learn more. Isaac Ogle strides through a field covered in waist-high broom sedge blue stem, a scruffy native grass, into a utility solar array. He's founder of Comprehensive Botanical Services, specializing in solar meadow installation. Our goal is always to plant low-growing native grass species. This one in particular that we're standing in today, this was just what I would call vegetation enhancement. This 5-megawatt, grid-tied, 20-acre solar farm was installed four years ago by Today's Power Incorporated in partnership with Ozarks Electric Cooperative. The land was donated by the city of Fayetteville and was formerly a pasture. The city owns a minority power share under its Strategic Municipal Clean Energy Plan. This site, once we saw the, blue, the broom sedge coming up, 
we knew we couldn't really get rid of it. It would have been too, it would have been just like getting rid of Bermuda grass. So we just decided to embrace it. The broom sedge has overtaken the pasture grass, the seeds sprouting from the field's native seed bank, long buried beneath. Ogle says compared to turf grass, native grasses on solar fields have been found to boost power generation. Yeah, there, there is some research that does show that native grasses keep the actual modules cooler because the ground temperature stayed lower than if it was mowed. Also, if you, if you talk about just your carbon footprint, mowing is one of the worst things you can do. Mowing produces polluting carbon emissions and can cause mechanical collisions with solar panels, ground mounts, and electrical equipment. Botanist Jennifer Ogle has a research interest in solar natives. She's collections manager at the University of Arkansas Herbarium, which documents the diversity and distribution of Arkansas plants. She says native grasslands benefit large-scale solar system ecosystems. Bermuda grass, 80% of its roots occupy the top six inches of the soil profile. By contrast, native grasses and wildflowers will occupy much more of the soil profile. So the, the grasses you see here, some of them can grow four feet deep and they'll just occupy that whole soil profile. Well, the result is better soil stabilization, so less soil erosion, uh, better water quality around the solar arrays. The water is absorbed into the roots of the plants and slowed down as it moves down into the, the ditches and then into our water. The White River is just a stone's throw from here, which is just real close to Beaver Lake, our drinking water source. Native managed solar arrays also benefit pollinators. So as opposed to a monoculture of turf grass such as Bermuda grass, which doesn't really attract pollinators at all, when you plant a diversity of native wildflowers and grasses, you do attract important pollinators. And as many of us know, important pollinators are on the decline. Some have disappeared. But if we have agricultural fields nearby, then it benefits humans because we see increased yields because those insects are pollinating those crops as well. Um, and then when you have insects, you attract all types of other animals. Birds rely on insects for food, especially when they're raising their young. Uh, reptiles and amphibians eat insects. Small mammals and even large mammals eat insects. So um, even if they're not important for pollinating, they're still attracted to this habitat because they might use the native plants for some other reason. They might eat the stems or eat the seeds. And so we get a diverse assemblage of insects that in turn encourages other animals uh, to use the place. Jennifer Ogle is collaborating with J.D. Wilson, a herpetology professor in the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of Arkansas and director of Wilson Lab on national research to measure biodiverse solar array landscapes. And we've recently, in the last six months or so, started a big study funded by the Department of Energy through their Solar Energy Technologies Office. Um, which looks at the benefits of planting native vegetation and other aspects of encouraging wildlife use in solar facilities. Project collaborators include experts with U.S. Geological Survey, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, as well as Comprehensive Botanical Services. Wilson lauds exponential solar development across the U.S. over the past five years to reduce carbon emissions, but building biodiversity into that clean energy matrix is now mission critical. Just in Arkansas, we're seeing dozens of really large-scale facilities going in every year, and um, so there's a real need. They're going in faster than the science that exists on how to best manage them for everybody's benefit. And so we're trying to catch up and figure out 
what we can do with a solar site to increase its biodiversity value because we feel that there's a tremendous potential for encouraging wildlife use, especially grassland species. We have these huge set-aside areas often behind a fence with grassy vegetation. Why not manage that in a way that's going to increase biodiversity and its value for wildlife conservation? Wilson's $1.3 million research project, Wildlife and Solar Through Native Planting, will compare wildlife occupancy and species richness in native solar arrays to conventionally managed solar turf grass and gravel sites. The team is deploying wildlife surveys as well as visual and acoustic sampling to measure the presence of birds, bats, terrestrial mammals, reptiles, amphibians, and pollinators across 90 sites in Arkansas, Kansas, and other regions. And basically the plan is to sample a large number of sites but do as much remote sampling as possible. So we're using um, methods that allow us to go out and say put out a recorder or a device that captures images of wildlife and allow data collection for long periods of time while we're not there because these sites are spread out and uh, logistics of access to these sites is often challenging. So um, we've got some interesting methods that allow us to do that. Wilson's also researching how wildlife reacts to vastly reduced human traffic on gated, fenced solar ecosystems. He opens a container and pulls out a mature, yellow-spotted black salamander to illustrate. This is a good example of a species that we hope might use these native-managed solar arrays and an indication of how the surrounding landscape also influences what's present in these sites. Wilson says while existing research on solar facilities is directed at specific species, the scope of this research is much more biodiverse. Standing nearby, Ben Stratton, a Ph.D. student in Wilson Lab, says he's basing his dissertation on reptiles and amphibians in native solar arrays using a technique known as drift fencing. But instead of physically trapping critters, motion cameras will be used. And so this allows us to, instead of having to come out to the fence every day, we can mount one of these fancy cameras that uh, senses motion moving in front of it via temperature, um, and it will take photos automatically of anything moving in front of it. So we can set these fences up within the arrays and get a pretty good idea of what reptiles and amphibians are moving through, um, particularly species that would be really hard to detect just by walking around and looking for them. The Native Solar Research Team will also monitor for mammals, including coyotes, bobcats, rabbits, woodchucks, and skunks, on native solar ecosystems. According to the Solar Energy Industries Association, a record 32 gigawatts of new solar capacity has been developed this year, a 52% increase from 2022, enough solar energy to power over 12 million homes. Isaac Ogle, again with Comprehensive Botanical Services, says native managed solar habitats may not be an option for mega solar sites. I would say that now as solar becomes more popular, the arrays are becoming very, very, very large, way, way larger than this site. Um, I've worked on sites that are 2,000 acres. So those sites, they're going to move more to what they're calling agrovoltaics, where they incorporate sheep grazing or some other method to keep the grasses down because there's just so many acres to affect. It's, it's not the cheapest thing to try and re-establish natives. Native seed isn't cheap and the process of removing vegetation to even be able to plant natives is not cheap either. So all of those things come into play when they consider their budgets for after the site is built. 
He says more large-scale solar power producers are also cultivating permanent pollinator plots, including way stations for vulnerable species like monarch butterflies. Some key goals of the four-year research project are to determine best site management and landscape attributions to increase biodiversity within solar arrays. The project will also engage stakeholder groups across the south-central U.S. to help enhance local solar arrays for wildlife habitat. And periodic progress reports will be posted on wilsonlab.com slash native solar. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The Squirrel Nut Zippers have developed a loyal following with their eclectic approach to music. They bring that same attitude to their holiday music. Well, we've always had sort of dark themes uh, hidden in our um, in our music, you know, and uh, sort of subterfuge there. The Squirrel Nut Zippers bringing their holiday caravan to Walton Art Center in Fayetteville this month. Our conversation with band founder Jimbo Mathis is in today's second half hour. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders joined 16 other Republican governors earlier this week, calling on President Joe Biden and Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen to prevent foreign adversaries, such as China, from buying land in the United States. The Republican Governors Association said in a press release that, quote, numerous governors and state legislatures have taken action to protect our citizens from the imminent national security threat of the Chinese Communist Party, end quote. Governor Sanders took action in October to force seed company Syngenta, a Chinese-owned company, to revoke ownership of 160 acres of farmland in northeast Arkansas after the passage of Act 636 earlier in 2023, which bans China or Chinese-based companies from owning agricultural land in the state. Ozarks at Large also reported in October on the growth of crypto mining companies setting up shop across Arkansas. Allegations that the crypto mine LLCs are owned and operated by Chinese foreign nationals or the Chinese government have been reported for months. Ozarks at Large reached out to the governor's office in regards to our reporting in October with no response. Following the latest call from Governor Sanders and other Republican governors to prevent Chinese ownership of land in the U.S., we asked her office once again for comment on the allegations of Chinese land ownership occurring in her own state. Alexa Henning is the governor's spokesperson. She says the state's Department of Agriculture is aggressively investigating the connections between certain Bitcoin mines and the Chinese Communist Party. She also says violators of Arkansas law will be forced to sell their illegally held land and could face prosecution. As stated earlier, Act 636 bans China or Chinese-based companies from owning agricultural land in Arkansas. It is not clear what Arkansas law would be broken if it is determined that these crypto mining companies are connected to China. This is Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. We are in the midst of our season of giving on-air fundraiser. It's a time during the season 
where we remind you that public radio is only available because of listener support from listeners just like you. We're a member of NPR. That means we share the cost of NPR's international and national reporting so we can then bring it to you. We think of this as an investment with great return. We're investing more than $250,000 this year to bring you NPR news reporting and programs. That doesn't even include the additional investments to bring you programs that aren't made by NPR, like This American Life, On the Media, Reveal, Latino USA. Where does this money come from? If you're a regular listener, you probably know the answer to this question. The single largest source of KUAF's funding comes from listener contributions, listeners like you. Your listener support of KUAF translates into support for NPR, PRX, the Center for Investigative Journalism, and others, as well as the programs like Ozarks at Large created here. Simply put, the public radio reporting that you and so many others rely on is built on listener donations. That's why we're asking you for a contribution today. You can do that at supportkuaf.com. That's right. We don't tell you how much to give. We don't tell you how often to give. All that we do ask is that you do give. You can do that at supportkuaf.com. This is Ozarks at Large. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences will direct a more than $17.5 million grant towards studying maternal health and disparities. The money comes from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Institute, or PCORI. UAMS will be a partner with 14 community health centers across the state. Lenita White, the CEO of Community Health Centers of Arkansas, says there's a need for improving maternal health in Arkansas. Arkansas is ranked the worst in the United States for maternal health outcomes. Arkansas also ranks worst for food insecurity. Arkansas has the second highest prevalence of obesity or overweight women in the United States, with about 65% of women in Arkansas being overweight or obese when they become pregnant. Excessive gestational weight gain during pregnancy perpetuates many complications, both for the pregnant mother and for the infant. Dr. White says women without access to healthy foods are at greater risk for this excessive gestational weight gain and the adjacent health complications that can come along with it. Pearl McElfish, Director of Community Health and Research at UAMS, says this study is named Delivering Hope. She says the research conducted by UAMS will include a large, rigorous, multi-site, randomized control trial that compares effectiveness of two multi-level interventions. We will look at the effects of Delivering Hope compared to enhanced standard of care on several maternal health outcomes, with our primary outcome being the number who have just excess gestational weight gain compared to those who have healthy weight gain during pregnancy, as well as the comorbidities or complications that can happen because of the excess gestational weight gain. Both arms will receive nutritional counseling and counseling on gestational weight gain. Both arms will also receive the assistance of a community health worker who will help pregnant women sign up for WIC and SNAP at the clinic without going to another location and referral to the safety net food resources in their region. Emma Kelfish says the study will answer a big question. Does the provision of healthy foods during pregnancy reduce the proportion of women who experience excess gestational weight gain and the associated complications? In total, we will enroll 
1,440 women, with the most of the women being from rural regions of Arkansas and minority women. And we will examine the differences in effect, the heterogeneity of effect, um, based on rural and urban, as well as based on race and ethnicity. The UAMS study is one of four concurrent studies funded by PCORI. Others will be carried out in Massachusetts, New York City, and Central North Carolina and focus on topics like mental health during pregnancy, hypertension, and access to care for pregnant patients. Combined, the four studies are funded with more than $80 million from PCORI. Dr. Nikayla Cook, PCORI's executive director, says this research is being instigated as a way to reverse trends in maternal health morbidity and mortality in the United States. Those rates have been increasing for the past several years in the U.S., despite an overall worldwide decline in maternal mortality. And these rates are markedly higher than those in other high-income countries. The number of deaths per 100,000 live births is more than three times higher than it is in the U.K., for example. And strikingly, perhaps as many as 80 percent of maternal deaths are preventable. Cook says the four studies, including the one that will be directed by UAMS, will also examine disparities in maternal outcomes among Black, American Indian, Alaska Native, and Hispanic women in the U.S. As well as people with disabilities, residents of rural areas, and people of lower socioeconomic status. The mortality rates for Black and American Indian and Alaska Native women are about three times that of white women in the United States. She says the goal is to have 150,000 pregnant or postpartum participants in those four combined studies. Each pairs research institutions like UAMS with community organizations. In Arkansas, UAMS partnerships extend beyond community health centers of Arkansas to include Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield, the Arkansas Minority Health Commission, the United Way, and the Arkansas Medical and Dental Association. Dr. Lenita White says those partnerships with a diverse group of stakeholders is essential. Because it allows us to collaboratively design and conduct research that is meaningful to the community and, of course, also to the stakeholder organizations. These partnerships help ensure that we conduct research that can be translated into policy and also clinical interventions and ultimately not only helps those enrolled in the study, but all pregnant women throughout the, the state of Arkansas and ultimately the United States. Pearl McElfish with UAMS says the $17.5 million grant directed toward Arkansas also provides a welcome and unusual component for a study, a built-in year for planning. She says that year of planning can be critical for providing collaboration on facets of the UAMS study like healthy grocery delivery to pregnant women in rural parts of the state. These are not easy to solve problems because they are multifaceted. And so there are um, a few things we will be doing. So we will spend this planning year refining for rural Arkansas. That's the overarching. The We will reach the communities by partnering with the federally qualified health centers throughout Arkansas. Um, as, as you may know, they are often the place providing care to under-resourced women in rural areas. They're also in some urban areas. And then we are in conversations um, that we've had throughout the past year with um, Walmart about ensuring that we can reach women with the food delivery and um, pick up in those most rural communities. Details about each of the studies, including the one that will be conducted by UAMS, can be found at the website for Patient-Centered 
Outcomes Research Institutes. That's PCORI.org. P-C-O-R-I.org. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. With KUAF, we bring you and deliver to you what you need when you need it. The trusted news, reporting, and culture that keeps you accurately informed and authentically inspired. It's what we're here to do and what you count on KUAF for. You count on Morning Edition and All Things Considered to frame the day ahead, and the one just concluding with incredible extended reporting, insightful analysis, and perspective on events here, there, and everywhere else. You also count on thought-provoking ideas, unexpected connections, and fun conversations from programs like Radio Lab, TED Radio Hour, Hidden Brain, and This American Life. You count on KUAF to separate fact from falsehood, news from the noise, and lift substance above the clamor of spectacle. Now, KUAF counts on you to help support it. The largest share of our annual budget comes from listener contributions and listener support. You can be a part of that right now by going to supportkuaf.com. The KUAF Giving Tree, now for over a decade working to provide necessary items and support for our area nonprofits, is excited to announce this year's beneficiary, the Yvonne Richardson Community Center. The YRCC is committed to shaping today's youth for tomorrow's challenges by providing recreational, educational, and social opportunities. In short, they're focused on providing accessibility and a place to evolve. The center prides itself on existing as a hub within the community to increase the level of impact gained from those they serve. Throughout the holidays, you'll learn more about the center and its needs, including pre-packaged snacks, sports equipment, coloring, and activity books, and more. Listen for information on the Community Spotlight Series, The Giving Tree, and KUAF Public Radio. Your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. Nate Walls, the owner of Secondhand Smoke Barbecue and Catering, is always busy. If you've been to a fundraiser or community event in 2023 in Northwest Arkansas, very good chance you've tasted his food. But he's even busier this time of the year with his nonprofit, Second Helping NWA. Later this month, Second Helping NWA will again coordinate their Trails of Love event and again collaborate with Woodstone Pizza to collect toys, coats, and more for families throughout Northwest Arkansas. Nate Walls came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio this week to talk about these events. This season is all about giving back because we think about it's the holidays, it's the holidays. Uh, that's not that great for some people. You know, uh, uh, one resident told me it's the fear of fall. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, the thing, we spend more money in the fall and this time of season um, on our families and stuff and friends and, and good times. Um, and we don't think about that, like coats and uh, socks, and they don't have that kind of thing. When it starts getting cold, like, they're wondering where they're going to get coats, and that's got to be a terrible feeling um, um, uh, for a parent uh, uh, to not be able to provide. So um, we have a Trails of Love event on uh, December 16th, and um, I'm a vendor there and kind of partnering with my T by Design, which does um, a lot of therapeutic art, which is, is, is amazing for kids that don't have any other outlet because therapy is so... Uh, expensive and expensive hard to get yeah yeah and and then lighthouse solutions they 
they um, offer not only period products, they offer um, a little workout for the kids just to keeping them active, uh, not behind a computer mm-hmm. or or their phone and stuff like that. So uh, getting them back into the family uh, dynamics and stuff. So um, um, it's going to be a couple of uh, Clorox and PepsiCo is going to be there. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing that at Grandview. Apartment, not on Grandview, but near Grandview, um, in that little nook behind up McKinney's, mm-hmm. and, and they let us uh, use that area. And we're going to have everything for them, Santa Claus, uh, gifts. Um, and that's uh, the 16th? Yes. Yeah. Yes, the 16th from uh, 2 to 4 uh, p.m. Yeah, so. can, can people still help? Oh, yeah. Tribute? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you go uh, uh, to Second Helping, um, nwa.org. Uh, uh, you can donate. Uh, you know, during this time at the end of the year, um, we have so much stuff going on next year. You know, I don't um, – uh, the fact is is we need money to continue to help people, uh, continue to feed people and find resources for them. Um, uh, you can volunteer. I'm going to need some kitchen help. I'm going to need some kitchen help on this one because – um, I'm expecting like 300 people. So, so when you say kitchen help, you need it before to yes. help prep? Yes. Okay. Yes. If somebody wants to do that. Do they, does it need to be someone who has some know-how behind it in the kitchen? I would like that, yeah. 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 Uh, but we try to find something, uh, things that people are good at. Chopping celery? Yeah. Okay. Like, like there are people uh, uh, that volunteer for me, and they'll tell me, it's one girl that does my data, and she came in the door saying, I'm going to tell you, like, I don't like people. Like, I don't like to be around people. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Right. Because she she tells me, and uh, and I found that she did know computers and stuff. So, oh, that's fine. You can help without, right. you know what I mean? Everybody's not going to be. Uh, Play to our strengths. Right, right. And, uh. So anything that if you want to help, you can help. And I appreciate every uh, volunteer that comes out there. But but uh, being uh, uh, knowing the knowledge that I want people to be treated with dignity out there, um, like it's not a handout at all. You know, don't um, don't treat people like you're saving uh, the day for them. Right. You know, we're. We're all on the same level, so. You got yeah. something going on with Life Source? Is that right? Yes, we got on the 18th. We got a collaboration with Life Source and gonna give them a Christmas dinner. Mm. And stuff. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, but yeah, uh, getting ready um, uh, for the toy drive. We got Woodstone. Um, Woodstone you, Pizza. Yeah, Woodstone yeah. Pizza. Um, uh, Jeremy has. Uh, been collaborating with me about four years now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it's that long since COVID, but it's a uh, right. yeah, yeah. It's been four years, and 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 every year we've gotten bigger. Uh, uh, with Woodstone Pizza, um, we uh, uh, get those toys, and people drop them off at Woodstone. Uh, mm-hmm, at Woodstone, both of them. Okay, um, and just anything that they can do. Um, uh, I think it doesn't even have to be toys. It can be coats. I mean, anything that you think that 
uh, would benefit uh, people and residents of Fayetteville is absolutely amazing. A lot of that will go to the trails of love. After that, uh, continue to do that until Christmas Eve. We usually go with Woodstone, and Woodstone provides the pizza, and we go into uh, neighborhoods, and uh, we give out the remaining uh, toys and the uh, pizza and uh, just kind of just fellowship with people and tell them um, it's day-to-day and it's going to be all right, you know. I know that when you and I were scheduling this time to talk, um, you mentioned that you went to Baltimore. Yeah. To to pay respects to yeah. someone who had been a huge supporter of secondhand. Oh yeah, Lynette helping. Yeah. Uh Lynette Garver, she she actually during COVID, uh, she was a big donor. Like like she would give, 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 and finally she was like, Nate, I'm gonna be honest with you, I can't get a tax receipt from this. So what I'm gonna do is help you um uh, get your five oh one C three. At that time I didn't even know uh, what a five oh one C three was. Um, and I've been learning to uh, fly that plane while, uh, while building on it. Um, and it's, uh, she was able to uh, get me started on that. And uh, uh, right before uh, she died, she talked about how proud uh, she was of me. And, um, and so I had to uh, attend that service. And it was a, a turnaround, but we had to go in. Uh, do that met the family and it was the face to the names and the stories and I was telling them how we used to make meatballs and spaghetti together and and she tell me old stories how she got uh, started um, a lot of legal stuff she used to uh, be a lawyer uh, and she got in the south uh, down here how um, she didn't know how different it was as far as racial things, but she uh, found out. And she was so feisty and so uh, uh, she was organic, <laughs> uh, 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 fully transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I liked about her. So let's see. Uh, Trails of Love is taking place the 16th. you got Life Source the 18th. You can drop off the materials at Woodstone now? Yes. Yes. Either it location. goes from December the 1st on until uh, Christmas Eve. Um, um, uh, volunteers Oh, we need those. Um, so uh, uh, just go to secondhelpingnwa.org uh, and, and there's a spot to donate and all that good stuff, and uh, he'll get you going. So. Uh, secondhelpingnwa.org. Mm-hmm. Find out about uh, contributing or volunteering. Let's do this again. Let's do it. I look forward to it, my friend. Thank you, Nate. Nate Walls is the owner of Secondhand Smoke Barbecue and Catering. He's also the director of the nonprofit Second Helping NWA. You can learn more at secondhelpingnwa.org. Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callens. I'm Matthew Moore. It is the season of giving fundraiser at uh, KUIF, Matthew. Mm-hmm. All right. I want you to work with me here. We're going right. to do a little math. Okay. All right. So I want you to add some things up. Sure. First of all, you can get up in the morning 
any morning of the year and either your morning edition or weekend edition and get a start to your day informed. And that cost to you is $0. Put down a zero. Okay. Then when your day is ending, perhaps your work day or your school day, you're going to listen to All Things Considered, find out what else happened. That cost to you is zero. So okay. add that. Okay. Now, if you're not in the listening area or you don't have a radio, you can stream uh, our signal at KUAF.com. That's going to cost you nothing. So add that total. Is that the same as zero? Zero, yes. Okay, nothing. sorry. Um, if you didn't hear Ozarks at Large in the middle of the day, you can ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large, and that upfront cost to you is zilch. Okay. So add that in okay. there. You can also listen to classical music at any time on KUAF2. That's available on the stream by asking your smart speaker to play KUAF2 or by listening on your HD radio. We're assuming you already have a radio or smart speaker. So after that initial cost of hardware, yep. to listen to the stream, zero. Okay. There are many podcasts produced at KUAF uh, that you can access by asking your smart speaker or listening on the stream. And that is going to run you nothing. Okay, yep. Okay. Um, so if you add all of that up, you have been entertained and informed Interformed, informed throughout the week, throughout the year, that total cost to you is. Um, hang on a second. I okay. Woke up pretty early. This Carry time. the zero. Oh, got it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Nothing. How about that? Wow. But somehow we're able to do all of that and more, and it does cost us money. So how do we do that? Well, the vast majority of the way that we do that is through listeners just like you who make a monthly contribution, make one-time gifts, uh, make sustaining gifts to keep public radio available for nothing to our entire listening community. Not everyone is able to give right now, and we understand that. But the reason that public radio works so well is we all work together to make sure all of these services, podcasts, broadcasts, streams, HD channels, all of it remains available to everyone for no charge. That's where you come in. Thank you for your support for the past 30 plus years. If you'd like to support us right now, where do you go? Supportkuaf.com. Do you have a story to tell? Come by the listening lab at KUAF and share it with us. All you have to do is go online to KUAFListeningLab.com and click on share your story. And after submitting your request, we'll reach out to schedule a time for you to come by the KUAF studio. And you can listen to past conversations from the Listening Lab anytime at KUAFListeningLab.com. A pleasant Wednesday. This is Ozarks at Large. Dozens of musical acts are touring across the country this time of year, performing Christmas-themed concerts. None of those acts are quite like the Squirrel Nut Zippers. The Zippers have developed a loyal following over the last 30 years, recording and performing a mix of swing, blues, R&B, bluegrass, and vintage country. The band delivered a surprise chart success in 1998 when they released a Christmas album of mostly original songs called Christmas Caravan. That CD serves as the core of the current Zippers tour that will stop at Walton Art Center Tuesday, December 19th. Last week, I caught up with Squirrel Nut Zipper founder Jimbo Mathis while he was on the road. He says the Christmas holiday caravan is, yes, holiday-themed, but maybe more holiday-adjacent. It's been quite popular just over the years, and so we perform songs from that album. Uh, our own, they're our own compositions. And uh, and then we structure the show to where we just mix in other of our other material. 
Uh, so we don't just completely wear you out with the <laughs> holiday theme. Uh, but it's it's fun the way we have it, uh, the program arranged. But yeah, we do all of the songs from our uh, Christmas Caravan record we did. I bought Christmas Caravan when it came out in 1998. And I was already a Squirrel Nut Zipper fan. But what sold me on this was the third track was titled A Johnny Ace Christmas. Christmas Eve, people, but someone's got to go. And I thought to myself, I gotta hear this because, if in case Uh people don't remember the legendary R&B singer, one of the first rock and roll tragedies, shot himself on Christmas Day. So I was thinking. This might be an interesting record that includes a song titled this. Always had sort of dark themes uh, hidden in our um, in our music, you know, and uh, sort of subterfuge there. Uh, we're big Johnny Ace fans, of course. He was a Sun record artist in Memphis, um, and uh, it was a tragedy. Um, so you know, there's tragedy at Christmas as well as joy, um, and so we included that in there just as a sort of a dark humor, I guess you could say, even though you couldn't consider it funny, but it's more subterfuge, I guess, than anything, and a tribute to him as well. Um, a lot of people never heard of Johnny Ace, but he's one of my favorite R&B singers. His records are so shambolic and strange. Well, and that, that and comes big... through in that song, too. Ooh. Yeah, we've kind of copped his sound on that, you know, that early uh, sun R&B sound that Johnny had slow tempos generally when we were uh you know tasked with uh making a christmas album you know we just left into the fact that we're going to write all our own material we only had a few months to, to put that whole thing together um and uh wouldn't have been something we would have done really on our own but it's come to be probably uh, one of the most enduring and most useful records we ever made because people pull it out on the holidays um, every year, you know, and it's become part of people's family routines. You know, I say, we're, you know, it's a family album. It's like the Adams family. You, know? <laughs> you, you said something you wouldn't have done on your own, something you were tasked with. Whose idea then was it to do Christmas Caravan? Well, that was the record uh, label uh strong arm. We were thrust into a really big uh, spotlight uh, and uh, and all of a sudden we went from just a little band that was quirky and doing cool things with, you know, doing business with the big boys. And 
And so, you know, that was one of those deals that goes down where they'll give us this if we give them that. Mm. And, uh, and that was the deal. Um, and, uh, and that was the reason why. But then we put our heart and soul into it. You know, I think we cut that thing in the heat of summer in, uh, in New Orleans in probably August. Uh, <laughs> so it was 110 degrees outside. And we're sitting there singing about fields of snow. You know, so there was that element of it, too, that was quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, we, we wrote that whole thing in just really a couple of weeks and uh, then recorded it shortly thereafter. What I love about the, the, the CD and the collection of songs is it's everything about Christmas. Because so many, you know, specials and, 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 and music collections are just about the joy and all of that. And Christmas can be a really tough time, or it can have its ups and downs. And I think it is all captured in Gift of the Magi, the, the song that you wrote that's, you know, inspired by O. Henry. You know, that's just one of those uh, serendipitous things where we were on the road when the word came to us to um, uh, that we were going to make the record. And I was in Asheville uh, performing. Uh, we were in Asheville. And they have these um, kind of little historical plaques that are in the sidewalk honoring famous personages of, um, of Asheville. And O. Henry was one of them. And I was just walking down the sidewalk thinking, what can I write? Uh, what else can I write? And I just saw that and I thought, wow, that's really the perfect um, Christmas story. Um, you know, the act of selfless giving mm-hmm. uh, is what it represents. And um, it's people that don't have anything that they give the last few things they have to make the other happy and to bring in joy on this event that we have every year called Christmas. And so I thought it was really, um, I just used the plot of the, the short story and put it to like a hillbilly thing, or that's the kind of music I grew up playing. You know, I grew up doing bluegrass and, and hillbilly music, playing at the Mountain View Folk Festivals and stuff when I was a little kid, you know. Uh, and so I grew up in that genre of music, mandolins, banjos, fiddles and all that and uh, and so we were able to spread out the uh the sound on that record because it was sort of a commission project it wasn't us per se uh doing what we had started to become known for we were able to try different little styles of music out like the r&b you mentioned the mountain music of uh, gift of the magi and you know i just thought back to the the old days when i was a kid and still had that magical feeling and playing the Chipmunks records and the Bing Crosby records. <laughs> yes. And just that sound, that sound coming through the house, you know, that you knew something was, was at, starting to happen. 
Um, and uh, so I was very proud of the gift of the Magi. And so music was a big part of growing up. I mean, not just playing, but hearing it, what, what your family members yes. would play. Yes, but mostly, uh, mostly just hands-on, um, you know, playing, performing, picking, we called it. And, uh, and so it was a major, major part of, um, of my upbringing. So my father, my uncles, and cousins, and everything played for our own enjoyment. I did not know until now that you had gone, so the Ozarks are not uh, foreign to you, that you had gone to the, the Folk Center in Mountain View. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I'd say about age six, I picked up the mandolin, and then we started going to the folk festival in the pretty early days. My father would load up in the pickup truck, several families from uh, from Mississippi, where I'm from, and uh, pilgrimage over there, and stay camped out at Bear Creek, and um, and just go. We really played out in, at our campsite more, and then we'd go to town on the square and that's just you know they kind of just turn me loose up there and pick me up at dark you know <laughs> the old days <laughs> yes and you know what better way to get ready for a, a life that's going to include touring yeah <laughs> and just uh very much so and just it really trained me up in uh the social interaction of music. And that's something, there's a big principle of zippers. And, and I'm, this is, okay, I'm not a musician, I don't tour, so this may be a completely silly question, but is there any difference if you're going on a tour in December than, say, June or July? Yes, <laughs> there <laughs> is. Well, it depends on where you're touring. I mean, if you go to the equator, it could be quite <laughs> nice, but... We're we're generally up east <laughs> in the snow and in the snow and the cold and um it, it presents challenges, um logistic challenges and just uh you know <laughs> health concerns. Um but you know, it uh, a lot of traffic out in there, so it's it takes some doing to get around, but you know, the people really it brings a lot of a joy to the audience and so that's what ends up making it worthwhile. The Squirrel Nut Zippers are going to be at Walton Art Center Tuesday night, December 19th. Jimbo Mathis, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you. I really look forward to seeing it. This is We haven't performed in Arkansas, but uh, maybe once. And so I'm really looking forward to it, and I haven't seen the center, so I've heard it's a beautiful state-of-the-art place, and we really look forward to it. Jimbo Mathis is a founding member of the band Squirrel Nut Zippers. They'll be on stage at Walton Art Center in Fayetteville Tuesday, December 19th. That concert, part of their Holiday Caravan Tour. The 1998 CD, Christmas Caravan, still available on all major music platforms.
This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Kyle, one of the parts of the season of giving uh, that we tend to push to folks, we tend to encourage people to consider, because usually around this time of year, we've got our sustainers who have given their gifts, who you know give on a regular basis. Um, but one of the things that we encourage folks who fall in that camp to do is to consider giving a gift membership mm-hmm. to their friends, their family, or in honor of a loved one. And that is something that uh, that folks can do uh, this time of year, is you can give a gift of great radio during this holiday season. You can make a contribution to KUAF in honor or in memory of a friend or loved one during our Season of Giving fundraiser. We will send that person a note letting them know of your gift, and it's an opportunity to introduce someone new to the benefits of listening to and supporting public radio. I know in the past at different nonprofits, I've had uh, family members who have gifted me, say, uh, a membership to a zoo or a membership to a museum, those sorts of things. Um, and... For me, I felt this uh, this pride and obligation to 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 you know take advantage of that. Right. And and our hope is that with a gift membership to KUAF, uh, friends and family members who receive this gift feel a little bit of prideful obligation, perhaps, to take part in uh, listening to and enjoying public radio. And the best thing about this gift is it's when you're giving to KUAF. It's a gift to everybody, right? When you got those, you know, complimentary or those gifts to the zoo, uh-huh. you couldn't give it to everybody else yeah, on that's your block. True. That's true. When you're sustaining KUAF, you're sustaining it for everyone. So thank you very much. You can do it at supportkuaf.com. Ozarks at Large is a production of ninety-one point three KUAF Fayetteville. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Chuck on Frolic. Our theme, written and performed by Daryl Sean. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. From that studio, I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us today. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville invites guests to make family memories this holiday season. Located in downtown Bentonville, Crystal Bridges features a full calendar of family events and experiences from art exhibitions to 120 acres of Ozark Forest with five miles of trails. General admission is open to the public. More at crystalbridges.org. The Ozark Society is a regional conservation organization known for saving the Buffalo National River from being dammed. Members across the state who love rivers and wild lands hike, volunteer, and work toward a common goal of keeping the natural state natural. Information on memberships at ozarksociety.net.